Okay, if you would take your Bible this evening and turn to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. <clears throat> And I'm going to read the first 11 verses, Romans chapter 2. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. We are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. Thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same? Thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness, and forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath, and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds." To them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. There is no respect of persons with God. So the message tonight is facing the judgment of God. Facing the judgment of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your love and your mercy to us. Thank you, Father, that thou art a righteous judge. Thank you, Father, that you're also a God of mercy and love and forbearance and long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So I pray tonight, Father, as we look into the Word of God as we as preach, Father, that pray the Spirit of God would take His Word and bring uh, conviction, encouragement, and challenge to the hearts and lives of those who hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> you in the world, oftentimes judgment is not just. But here in Romans chapter 2, we see some things given to us about the judgment of God concerning his judgment. And this judgment is regulated by a just and righteous God. In other words, his judgment is always right. You know, sometimes in the world, judgment is, is vindicative. It is, it is meted out in a fit of anger, you might say, or a passion. I, mean, I remember years ago there was a man who, uh, I think he embezzled some things from a company or something. And, 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 the, and I remember my father-in-law saying that the, the lawyer, I think on the other side, said, we're going to make an example of you. In other words, they weren't looking for justice they were looking for vindictive to, 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 you know, they were vindicative of him. Um, and, you know, and he said justice wasn't served because the sentence they, they, they gave was excessive 
as we've seen and, and you know, and we see this in our world today. Uh, but most people are mental cowards when they read that word judgment. They're afraid of it because of guilt, instinctive guilt. But it's here. We must face the facts or we will be suffer, will suffer by it. Uh, you know, in any world of intelligence, there's this natural moral balance. Uh, you know how you have on the one hand gain, and the other hand loss. To gain, you have to lose something else. You know, if you if you're going to gain money, you have to lose some time. You put in time, you, so you lose time to gain money to live. Uh, or you might have reward, or on the other hand, retribution. And we see this in nature. Uh, in the natural world, there has to be a balance of nature. In uh, when Mao Zedong became uh, the dictator of communist China and took over communist China in the 1950s, he had this thing, and I'm trying to remember what they called it. But anyway, uh, it was called the Great Leap Forward. He was going to put this program called the Great Leap Forward. They're going to make China an industrialized nation. And one of the things that he instituted was, and and, and he was. He was criticized for it, and some who were criti- who criticized him went to labor camps. But anyway, he was criticized for it. One of the things he 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 uh, uh, put into practice was to kill all the sparrows because the sparrows were eating the grain, and you know so uh, you know, with sparrows eating grain that takes less that provides less grain for people and less grain to sell. So let's kill all the spir- sparrows. And, and so they killed, you know, with, uh, slingshots and, 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 uh, with making noises and they were, they were to bang pots to keep the sparrows flying till they'd fly themselves to death from exhaustion. It was estimated that he killed maybe a hundred, many as hundred million sparrows. The people of China did. But what the fruits of that was a proliferation of insects. Because what do sparrows eat? Insects, and what it brought about this this imbalance in nature brought about a starvation of as many as forty five million Chinese people. You see, there there is this this law of nature of gain on the one hand, loss on the other, reward or retribution. There, if there's a and so there's a heaven and there's a hell. That's just, that's just, that's, that's, that's nature. But as we think about the judgment of God, and one notice, first of all, it considers personal guilt. Verse one, he says, Thou therefore inexcusable, O man, whoso thou art that judgest, wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. You know, we are inexcusable. We are, you know, we have guilt before God. That cannot be defended. There's no defense against it. Psalm 39 verses 4 and 5 says, Lord, make me to know mine end and not measure my days what it is that I might know how frail I am. Behold, I have, thou hast made my days as handbreadth, my ages as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Selah. Psalm 51 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and sin did my mother's conceive me. So my start in life was, a sinner. And doing things that were an offense to God, even when my innocence 
You know, little Callan can be a rebel already. You know, you don't have to wait till they're two or three year olds to figure out that they are not obeying you. I remember we were at a homeschool conference years ago. And this lady in one of the ladies' sessions, she had nine children. And she said her husband always said uh, that when a child is old enough to stiffen up, you're changing the diaper or something, or you're, when it's old enough to stiffen up against you, it's old enough to spank. That happens very early. I mean, within months of birth. And she said, I didn't believe him till the ninth one. Uh, but, but, you know, they come from the womb speaking lies. Speaking lies. Ecclesiastes so 7.20 says, For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Sinneth not. So we are inexcusable. We have no defense against God in the fact that we are guilty sinners before a holy and righteous God, because God is holy. Uh, <clears throat> notice the second thing here, this, this judgment of God, its estimate is always according to truth. You know, God's judgment is always according to truth. In verse 2 he says, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. Now verse 1 we're talking about man's judgment and, and, but, and, you know, and judging one another, and, and we're guilty before God. But verse 2 here, we're talking about God's judgment, or God's sentence against sin. And there's a big difference. You know, God's judgment is always reliable. It's always truthful. There is no bias. No bias. You know, the idea of judgment presupposes that there is a standard. So we might ask, whose standard? Yours or mine? Now, if you or I to set the standard, it would be different for each of us. We would each have different, some variations of standard. Even though we go to the same church, we're going to have some variation of standard if we are going to set our own standard. So if there is a standard, it's, it's only right that the it's same standard for everyone, so that True to be standard, that standard of justice has to be set by someone other than a man. And therefore the need for God's standard, according to the truth. Jesus said, thy word is truth. Somebody has said, quote, to ignore this book, and you will be ignorant of the true standards of life. Reject this book, and you will reap the corrections of a negative judgment, unquote. So, if you ignore this, you're ignoring the true standards of life. And you reject it. You're going to reap the corrections of this book. Your Revelation 22, at the end of the Bible, the end of this revelation, this revealing of God to us, in Revelation 22, the Apostle John <clears throat> concluded the Bible with this statement. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of the book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from things which are written in this book. If you don't, if you don't adhere or receive of the commandments of this book, 
You're going to reap the judgments of this book. And God will take away your part out of the book of life. He, God hath commanded that all men everywhere repent. That's a command. It's a command. It's His standard. So we need to, we need to adhere to the standards of this book. Philip Brooks said this, quote, the only way to get rid of a, of a past is to get a future out of it, unquote. And the only way to get a good future out of a bad past is to have the past judge, which will prevent the future from being judged. You see, if we give God our life and judge our past and judge ourselves as guilty before God, we won't be judged in the future. Because God has taken our judgment on Himself. The cross of Christ was the judgment for all sin and every person's past sin. So the idea is judge your past, repent, receive Christ as Lord and Savior, and you will find a good future and not be judged. 1 John 5.11 says, This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. You see, this is the record. This is a testimony. This is the evidence in a legal sense of testimony for a judge that we can be declared righteous before that judge. See, God's judgment is always according to the truth. The truth. <clears throat> Thirdly, this judgment is inescapable. If you notice verse 3, Thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God. You know, there's no such thing as escaping the judgment of God. Ecclesiastes, excuse me, chapter 1, I'm sorry, chapter 11, Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1 and also verse 9. Solomon said, Cast thy bread upon the waters, thou shalt find it after many days. Verse 9, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth. Let thy heart cheer thee the days of thy youth. Walk in the ways of thine heart. And in the sight of thine eyes, but know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. So, you know, he's saying, <clears throat> you are going to reap what you sow. You cast your bread upon the waters, you're going to find it after many days. Lester Rollo had a saying, it says, he went, went, the chickens come home to roost. <laughs> in other words, you reap what you sow. That's the idea here. And we will not escape the, the reward or the retribution of a righteous God. It's going to be one or the other. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall we also reap. He that soweth to his flesh shall the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You know, so the encouragement is here from the book of Galatians to, to sow to the Spirit 
so that we'll reap of the Spirit. We'll reap reward and not retribution. So we're either going to receive a reward or we're going to receive retribution. Of course, in our enlightened culture and wisdom of child training, we've tried to eradicate the law of sowing and reaping. You know, if one child passes, they all need to pass. You know, we have school curriculum now, programs called No Child Left Behind, Common Core. And basically all that is 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 if one child wins, all should get a prize. That's kind of the idea. We've eliminated the competition. I like the skit the the judges put on at camp the other morning. And uh, one of them said, you know, I don't like this competitiveness. I don't like this competitiveness. I think all the children should be given a participation trophy. Supposed to be competition, you know, they call it competitiveness. It's kind of petty, you know. No. But, you know, and, and that's the idea. Everybody should, there should be no winners and there should be no losers. Everybody needs to be a winner. And so we grow up and we think everybody needs to be paid. Whether they work or whether they don't. Whether they contribute to society or whether they don't. Everybody ought to be entitled to a house, to a cell phone. Isn't that the philosophy nowadays? That's socialism. And by this philosophy, we are destroying the need for self-judgment, the need for self-examination, and eradicating a reason for excellence. And a reason to to improve. And that's what socialism does. I remember when I was a kid, and I didn't understand much about communism or socialism, but I remember my dad saying, because you'd hear about people starving in the Soviet Union. This would have been back in the 70s, dating myself, but back in the 70s. But I, hear, I remember my dad saying, he said, he said and, and that is, they have the best, some of the best soil in the world for growing grains. To Ukraine, the Ukraine before communism took over, the Soviet Union took it over, was known as the breadbasket of the world. And yet after communism took over, people were starving to death. Why? Because there's no, and, and this is what I said, the government has taken away incentive to work. Because it doesn't matter how hard you work, you don't fare any better than anyone else. So there's no incentive for improvement. There's no incentive for self-examination or excelling. And anyway, it doesn't matter. We, we all make it out in the end. We just get there different ways, right? And we've carried that over into religion, thinking, and, and what we've done is make no religion of any consequence. They're all the same. A lot of people think all religions are alike. No, 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 they're not. There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the winds thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs says that two times. Proverbs 14.12 and 16.25. You see, and this judgment is inescapable. 
doesn't matter what we think about it or what ideas we come up with. Is it appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment, Hebrews 9.27 says. Listen, there's a fourth thing. This judgment also considers the goodness of God. Notice in verse 4. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness, and forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. You know, the judgment of God is the penalty for sin, but the goodness of God leads us to the remedy for sin. There is a remedy for sin. And therefore, the goodness of God is the preventive for God's judgment. If you want to escape judgment, the wrath of Almighty God, avail yourself of His goodness. Don't despise it. The word despise here means to think little of it or nothing of it. You know, 1 Thessalonians 5 uh, 20 says, despise not prophesying. In other words, don't think little or think it's of little value. Preaching, and it's talking about preaching here. Don't think it, uh, that, that preaching is of little value. Bible preaching. It's very important. And so he says here, don't despise the goodness, the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering. You know, God is forbearing. In other words, he's holding back. He's delaying judgment that you and I deserve. If we didn't get what we deserved, We'd already be in hell. But he's holding it back. He's long-suffering. He's slow in avenging wrongs and avenging your offenses against him. He's slow in that. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men client slackness. You know, some people say, will say, Well, we've heard about the Lord coming for a thousand years now, and, and you know, he, he must not really, and surely that's not true. You know, the reason he hasn't come is, long-suffering. And he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's long-suffering. You see, by rejecting the gospel, we're bringing the sentence of death and hell upon ourselves by despising him, the one who died for our sins. He endured the suffering and death, the consequences of sin for for us. You see, it is God's goodness that gives you extended opportunity. I remember when we were in Maine, we had a neighbor man. He was, I think, 83 when I met him. His wife was a professing Christian. but And he would say, yeah, I, I think I'm saved. And I'd say... Uh, try to remember his name. Russell Noyes. I say, well, Russell, do you have peace with God? Then he'd hang his head. No. And then he'd say this. I don't know why I'm still here. You know, I've, I've been a wicked man. I don't know why I'm still here. I said, I do. God's given you another opportunity to hear the gospel. As long as you have life, you have opportunity. But when your life is over, the opportunity is gone. It is the goodness of God that's given you opportunity. The goodness of God. Roy Lawrence said in his book, Quote, God is drawing us and not driving us. He is using a cross and not a club. 
This means is love and not force. It is our privilege as a free moral agent to either accept or reject this goodness. Though God made the world, he could not save us unless we allow him to. After all, the blackest sin in the category is not righteousness violated, but mercy despised. You know, God made the world. He said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, he's commanded all men everywhere to repent. But he's given you and I the choice to actually do it. You see, God's goodness, he's forbearing and long-suffering the riches of his goodness and forbearance. Then notice also, this judgment is future as well as present. Verse 5 says, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. You know, we are dealing here with an eternal judgment. And this judgment, and this judgment is because men have rejected the, the, the love of God manifested in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, what, what were, you might ask yourself this question, what were we created for? What was God's design for man? You know, God made us in his image and gave man dominion over the earth. He was to govern the world for God. And he is created for fellowship with God. But he's made in God's image with a free will. Now, ask yourself the question, according to the scriptures, how well did we do? Well, we know that the first family, there was a murder. First family, there was a murder. And it got so bad that God said, I'm going to destroy all the earth. Start over. And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And the judgment was really, a, or the, the flood was the judgment of God upon a wicked world that had rejected God. And it was a restart, if you will. A fresh start. And that went to the Tower of Babel where men decide they're going to build a tower that reached into heaven and be like God. And God again brought judgment. Confined to the language. Another reset. You know, this has been the history of mankind. Then he called out Abraham, a people for his name. And they forsook God and sacrificed their children under the false gods. God brought the Babylonians. And you know, what it has been, what we see in the scriptures, there's just been one long war against God from mankind. In Luke chapter 20, Jesus told a parable about a, a, a man who had a vineyard and he let it out to his servants. And then he would send his servants to get fruit from the vineyard. And they stoned one, you know, and beat another. And then he said, I'll send my son. You know, that's a picture of what man has done in his rebellion against God. And of course, they crucified his son. 
See, God was made. God made man for fellowship. He desires fellowship with God. You know, Matthew 18, 20, he says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 tells us that he walketh in the midst of his candlesticks, his churches. God is here. He desires fellowship with us. In Revelation 3.20, we see him on the outside of the door of the church, knocking, wanting to go in and sup with them. That speaks of fellowship. Do you ever wonder why people like fellowship with other people? Because they're made in the image of God. God desires fellowship. But when we rebel against God... We treasure up the wrath of God against ourselves. Now, if you notice again in verse 5, it says, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasure us up unto thyself, wrath against the day of wrath, and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. I made mention, reference to this earlier, that it is a righteous God, judgment of God. God's judgment is not vindicative or arbitrary. It is not subject to an individual will or without restriction. God's judgment is always according to truth. It is not a burst of divine temper or a passion of rage. It is the effect of law. Of law. The law of God. The righteous law of God. It is the result of righteousness. You know, if somebody steals your car and sells it, You you would take judgment upon yourself and be vindictive and go and blow up their car. And you'd say, well, I got even. But is that righteous? No. See, what we're supposed to do, we have laws in our land. You're supposed to call the authorities, police. They're supposed to do an investigation and make sure that he is actually the person that stole your car. And they're supposed to administer justice according to a law. See, we're forsaking that in our country. We're allowing it to happen. You know, a man's killed, and what we're seeing is vigilante justice. The law would have taken care of that. But see, people are taking the law in their own hands. God never does that. His, his judgment is always according to his law. He confines himself or he restricts himself to his law that he's written for us. He will never violate his word. It's sort of like you can't violate natural law. If you open the door and stick your hand in the door and pull it shut, you're going to reap the consequences of natural law. If you run into that wall, you're going to reap the consequences of natural law. It's going to hurt. If you pull the hair in your arm, you're going to reap the consequences of natural law. And see, this revelation of righteousness that comes because of persistence in unrighteousness. So the judgment of God is inflicted or or, or received upon those who persist in unrighteousness. 
And again, notice that this, this wrath of God is spoken after it speaks of God's goodness, God's forbearance, God's long-suffering. In other words, God does not will or wish His judgment on us. Instead, God's judgment is the reward of our unrighteousness. Notice he says there, but after thy hardness and the penitent heart, treasures up unto thyself. You know, we bring, people bring the judgment of God upon themselves. People bring in our land, they bring the judgment of the government upon themselves by violating the laws of the land. You know, when children disobey their parents, what do they do? They bring the judgment of their parents upon themselves. Righteous judgment. So, and then, th- and then number six. This judgment is, of course, based on divine justice. Notice verse six. Who will render to every, me- every man according to his deeds. You know, going, this is the basis for judgment. It does not say for our deeds, but according to our deeds. Salvation is not on a barter basis. It's not a merit system or a demerit system. It is on the basis of our deeds. And our conduct, of course, is a visual expression of our character as what you do is proof of what you are. Somebody has said, quote, the principle on which the eternal distinction between man is biological, it is whether he has life or not new life, unquote. So, no, you know, think about it this way. No person is going to be lost because he lied. Now, if that's the habit of your life, it reveals who you really are. A lost person. Because is there any one of us that never, ever lied? See, a person don't got... I remember years ago, when we were still in Pennsylvania, we were visiting this one lady, and we ask her if she was born again and had assurance of going to heaven when she died. I can't remember exactly the wording. She said, and she just started to cry. And this is what she said. I smoke. And I said, so? That's what I said. I said, so? But she had a Methodist lady preacher that told her, if you smoke, you're going to hell. I said, that's not in the Bible. I said, I don't think smoking is good. I think that smoking is a sin against God. It's just you're destroying your temple, your body with that. But I said, that isn't going to send you to hell. No person is going to be saved because they tell the truth. No. They get they are saved because they receive the truth, not because they tell the truth. You know, Titus three five says, Not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing the Holy Ghost. See, our salvation is by receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, 
Our standing is a matter of related to our life according to our deeds. See, our life will demonstrate is a demonstration of whether we are saved or not. But again, we're not going to be saved because we tell the truth. I've known honest people. There were lost people. Do you know that Abraham, the friend of God, lied? And so did Isaac. So did Jacob. So did Peter. I don't know that man. And Peter became the pastor of a church in Jerusalem. See, judgment is based upon divine justice. And that divine justice was meted out on our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we put our faith and trust in Him, we are accepting that divine justice on our behalf. After all, I can't meet the standard God set. He met it for me. But this judgment is based upon divine justice. It's God's justice. It's God's standard, not ours. Then we'll notice one final thing. God's judgment is impartial. Notice verse 11. For there is no respect of persons with God. The word respect means partiality, the fault of one who, when called on to give judgment, has respect to the outward circumstances of man and not to their intrinsic merits, and so prefers as the more worthy one who is rich, high-born, or powerful to another who does not have these qualities. You know, we see we see respect of persons all the time in, in, in real life. You know, life's not fair. You know, in real life, you know, there's always, there's constantly, you know, given evidence of respect of persons. And, and you and I, if we're honest, would have to admit that, that we have respect, more respect for some people than others. We would tend to overlook the faults in a friend more than we would overlook somebody that we didn't like. The tendency is as parents to overlook faults in our kids, but not in other kids. You know, my kids would never do wrong. Now, Mandy over here, she's a smith, you know, there. That's the tendency of parents. My Johnny would never do that to But you know what? There is no respect of persons with God. You are just as important as you are. Do you realize that you are just as important to God as Moses? Or Elijah? Or Elisha? Or Paul? God's no respecter of persons. 
For God so loved the world. The world. There's no acceptance of face with God. Circumstances of birth, training, credentials, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. God will not say, who are you? But what are you? Are you saved or are you lost? And what have you done if you are saved? His judgment is not with respect to persons. I had a man come to me years ago who said, after an evangelist preached a message on against homosexuality, came to me in tears. He said, Preacher, there's no hope for me. I said, what do you mean? He said, just said, he just said, he's thinking to the preacher, he just said, God gave them up. He said, Preacher, I used to do that. There's no hope for me. I said, Ed, that's not true. Now, talking to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where it says, and such were some of you. But now you are washed. Now you are sanctified. Now you are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now. See, it is God that fits us for eternity and not we ourselves. It's God that fits us for life. 1 John 5.11 says, This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. See, that it's God that gives us life. Fits us for life. Fits us to face the judgment. You know, we can face a holy and righteous God because our sin was judged at Calvary because at Calvary, Christ paid the penalty for our sins. But we must receive of his goodness, of his forbearance, his long-suffering. We must choose to receive this life. We must take it for oneself. And Jesus said in John six thirty-seven, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. There's an interesting couple of verses in Isaiah chapter 30. In Isaiah prophesying to the children of Israel, in their apostasy said this to them, Ezekiel or Isaiah 30, verse 18, And therefore will the Lord wait, that he may be gracious unto you. And therefore will he be exalted, that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. He was saying to Israel, you're in your apostasy. The Lord's going to wait to be merciful. He wants to be gracious 
He wants to be merciful, and He will wait. And blessed are they that wait or rest in Him. It is the righteous judgment of God. But you know, we need not fear it. Because the penalty has been paid in full in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will come to Him in repentance and faith, receiving that penalty for ourselves. We can receive of the goodness and the forbearance and long-suffering of God in saving us from the judgment that is to come. Have you received that? Let's pray.